Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. It's time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you very much. Yes, indeed. The Weekend Report is on your radio, and we appreciate you being a part of it. Tony Colombo here in studio with producer Frank Ladd. For right now, we're going to have a little bit of a... uh, 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 flip-flop of producers as we go through the day today. It's just how uh, radio works. And uh, so Frank is here with us. Carl will be with us today as well. And, of course, my partner Chris Arps is with us once again from the Arps compound somewhere in the St. Louis metro area under 50 feet of concrete and steel in a nondescript building that you would never find no matter how hard you looked. That is how well fortified and hidden the Arps compound is. Chris, what's going on, dude? I'm doing great, and uh, as once again, I'm the last to know. I thought we had Frank all day today. I didn't know uh, hey, Carl was listen, joining us as well. Listen, so. I'm the last one to know everything. It's things okay. move. Things it's move tag fast. Team. It's a tag team day. I'll be here. <laughs> Carl will be here. I'll be back. It's all good. That's right. That's right. Things move fast on the weekend. I just hate report. feeling left out. You know what? I found out I 20 know. seconds before you. Oh, so. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so don't feel so bad. Uh, Chris, you had another uh, uh, busy week. You are a national superstar right now. Uh, I so I am going to uh, let you start the show. What are uh, what are the biggest right now? What is the what is the biggest thing that you have uh, covered this week? And tell folks where they can find you on this national platform. Oh, Tony, you've really put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> as you alluded to, I've been fortunate to be on Wake Up America on Newsmax um, every Wednesday uh, from 5.30 to 8. And one of the things that we've been talking about all talking about this week and the past weeks is uh, our friend Andrew Cuomo, the mm-hmm. love gov mm-hmm. of New York. Um, just uh, on Thursday, uh, the New York General Assembly started an impeachment inquiry on the governor. Uh, also, another woman has come forward claiming that he sexually harassed her. I think we're up to, what, six or seven now. So the noose is tightening around Governor Cuomo. And I predicted a few weeks ago that he was going to be impeached. And it looks like uh, that's coming to fruition. Yeah, the I, I wanted to set you up there because you predicted it on the panel uh, there on television, and others on the panel acted like you were crazy. And, <laughs> and what I love about that, Chris Arps has been proven right. 
And the woman and the and the person that thought I was crazy was the former lieutenant governor of New York. Oh, she was wow. like, there's no way he's going to be impeached. That feels even better. Because <laughs> she's the New York good. expert and she knows how New York politics work. And you're from St. Louis and you don't know what you're talking about. And, and, you, then, and you know what, Tony? That's honestly, funny. It's not a question of knowing New York politics or, or anything like that. It's a question of we've seen this scenario before. And once women start coming out of the woodwork accusing you of sexual harassment, it's just a matter of time before you step down and resign. Because the tactic is the more women come out, they can't all be lying. So it must be true. You can't survive under that scenario. You just can't. So also earlier this week, uh, Chris and I were hosting the Dave Glover show. I had a chance to fill in for Dave uh, earlier this week on the DGS, and Chris joined me as a co-host for an hour of that show. And during that uh, show, we talked to Senator Jim Talent. Great conversation with the senator. We're going to play that for you back here a little bit later on in the second hour of today's show. Uh, We are also, in just a few minutes, going to talk to former Missouri Speaker of the House, Tim Jones. And we are going to talk today to Eric Schmidt, the Attorney General of the state of Missouri. And I want to get something straight with you, Chris, before we get... (laughs) Uh, before we get the AG on, when we were talking to Jim Talent, as you'll hear in the conversation that we play later, uh, we are discussing the Roy Blunt uh, decision to not run for Senate again, which is going to make Missouri a very interesting place to be for the next Is that why we years. have Eric Schmidt on today? No, it is not oh. why we have Eric Schmidt on today. <laughs> However... Um, the reason I the reason I initially requested that we talk to uh, the AG is because Missouri and and Eric Schmidt are leading a I think it's a 12 state lawsuit against the Biden administration. So we'll get into the details of that and we'll ask him about that. But that was the reason that I had asked um, uh, made the request to see if we could get the AG on. However, and the time that has passed since then, um, it, it, you know, all this speculation has been going on about who is going to be the person that replaces uh, or runs, I guess, for that Republican Senate seat and in the state of Missouri. And Eric Schmidt's name is at the top of many, many lists. So um, we didn't get it. We didn't get our act together ahead of time. Uh, well, before we talked to Jim Talent, and it was on the air that I said, who's going to ask him, Chris? Are you going to ask him if he's going to run, or am I going to ask him if he's going to run? So let's get it straight right now. Which one of us is going to ask Eric Schmidt if he's going to run for Senate? Is it going to be me, or is it going to be you? Well, you know what, Tony? I think he's expecting one of us to do it, so I don't think it's going to be all that much of a surprise for him. But uh, because you are the more seasoned and experienced uh, radio guy, I'll let you uh, I'll let you have that. Oh, because you want to you protect your— relationship <laughs> with uh, with Eric, then you're going to let me uh, just kind of put that out there. Um, was it, it was Frank that sent us the uh, the this article earlier yep. from the Missouri Independent? Is that where it's from? Am I right about that? Mm-hmm. Uh, the Missouri Independent put in, put out an article this week uh, ranking or basically speculating with Roy Blunt out who is in. Uh, a list of possible Missouri GOP Senate candidates, and uh, Eric Schmidt is number two on that list behind Jay Ashcroft, only Jay Ashcroft. So uh, apparently some people who are in the know think that Eric Schmidt is probable uh, not only to run but also probable to 
uh, possibly win the nomination and win that seat. Who do you think are the top runners, the front runners for Roy Blunt's spot? Well, Tony, I think anybody that has won statewide office, you have to put them uh, at the top as a contender uh, for Senator Blunt's seat. So, of course, um, Jay Ashcroft and Eric Schmidt and Mike Kehoe are at the top of uh, up mm-hmm. top of that list. Um, All Jay of them Ashcroft, are in the top five. Yeah. Yeah, Jay Ashcroft threw his name out of the ring. Um, Speculation is that he wants to run for governor in 2024. He has a young family and doesn't want to uproot them and uh, take them all to D.C. But uh, the statewide officers, I think you have to put them at the top of the list. Um, I think you have to uh, say that Congressman Jason Smith of Southeast Missouri, Mm -hmm. um, he's a strong contender. He's been a big Donald Trump supporter. Um, he could get that coveted Trump uh, endorsement. We're also hearing that uh, Congressman Billy Long from the other side of the state um, has uh, seriously considered as long as well as our own Ann Wagner. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a wide open affair, Tony. And as I said on NPR this week, uh, 2022 is going to be an electoral melee. Yeah. And it's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch. Um, how important is the is Roy Blunt's seat to the Republicans? I mean, obviously, every Senate seat is extremely important. But, you know, we've had in recent history, Claire McCaskill, a Democrat, hold the Senate seat, one of the Senate seats in the state of Missouri. Uh, so I would imagine that right now this is considered a uh, a big positive for the Republicans to have both Senate seats in our state. Um, how important to the national party and how much attention and funds and everything are they going to throw at whoever the Republican nominee is to make sure that Missouri stays with uh, both red Senate seats? Tony, I'm going to upset a few of our listeners here, but I'm going to say that uh, Missouri is a safe state for Republicans to keep that Senate. Really? Unless, unless it's Eric Greitens. you nominate Eric Wright. Yeah. And then it's uh, all bets are off. You know what? That doesn't, you, I, you're right. Uh, <laughs> bafflingly, that will upset some people, but yeah. I don't understand why it, it does because it's common sense that a divisive uh, uh, politician with the background and the controversies that the former governor has had, of course, he is going to they're going that's going to present some challenges. Well, to you know, there's many folks him. in our audience that feel that he was railroaded and treated unfairly. And, and that, that there be. was a Jefferson City cabal that worked against him to get him out of office. You know what? I, I think that's the big thing that will. Uh, that's why uh, people in our audience are upset. And all of that may be true, baby, but it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't matter if that's it doesn't matter how it happened. It's it, it happened. And that is a part of his his life now it's a part of his public life now it's a part of anything that he's going to run for what happened when he was governor is always going to stick with him so it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it was if it was if he was railroaded or if there was some kind of behind the scenes action taken to get rid of him it's there it's and it's always going to present a challenge for him running for office always and, yeah and i agree with you i i, I would not consider him to be the um, the strongest candidate because, for that seat. Because let's talk about this for a second. Yeah. Who is going to who's going to give Eric Greitens money? What and and he's not going to be able to raise enough money through the rabid small donor 
supporters that he has in the state. You need people with deep pockets and you need PACs with deep pockets to give him money. And I just don't see anybody in this Me Too movement uh, right now going on wanting to have their name on a check to Eric Greitens. I just don't see it. Let me ask you this, Chris. You would know better than I would. What about Donald Trump? What about his what about his pact, his people? Because I know that I know that Greitens basically attached himself to the Trump train in 2016, and he was a huge supporter of the president. And I believe the president, the former president, is uh, well aware of of Mr. Greitens and a supporter. Yeah. Could some of the funding and some of the support come from that group? He could get he could get money from uh, Trump's pack, and you know Trump could endorse him, and that could uh, help him maybe possibly win the primary. I just think ultimately that women are not going to vote for uh, oh, Eric Greitens in a, in a general election. <laughs> I just don't see that happening. Oh, I agree completely. But that doesn't mean uh, you know that doesn't mean it's going to slow him down, or or he is. Uh is possibly not going to run. Well, we'll continue that conversation uh, with uh, with the AG, Eric Schmidt, when we have him on a little bit later on in the show. Um, a lot of other stuff going on this week. Have you ta- Did you talk? I can't imagine this. Chris Arps, uh, political expert, political insider, been a part of elections and the news your entire life. And you're on national television, and the biggest story is about the royal family in England. <laughs> have you had to have you had to have that conversation on the air? And do you do you are you taking a stand on this uh, issue? You know what, Tony? That was one of our topics um, last <laughs> Wednesday on the show. We didn't get to it. I'm sure but I had. Oh, good, sta- good for I you. I had my answer all set. All that, right. You know, I could really care less about the royal family, and it just shows the times that we're living in when members of the royal family are accusing each other of racism, playing the race card. I think that right there just shows you we're in a COVID pandemic world. Yeah, I I think that I honestly think that. The United States is just as interested in this story as they are in the UK, and and maybe in some areas even more interested. And what's what's very um, sort of ironic and and interesting is that if you watch on television, the uh, British press, the people that are uh, on American television, on CNN and Fox and NBC and all these places that are talking about what the temperature in the UK is, and it's it's very um, anti-Harry and Meghan, and they're very upset that they have attacked the royal family and that they have attacked the Queen, and they're very protective of the Queen. Now, obviously, there is a there's there's obviously a percentage of people that are supportive of Harry and Meghan, but I think it's I think over here in the United States, there's way more of this idea of uh, you know that uh, they were. They were the victims of racism, and they were the victims of this uh, 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 this this royal family that doesn't yeah. care about mental health. And, and there's all and, this sympathy for Harry and Meghan, and but and that's here in the United States. But over there, where it's all actually happening, the it's reversed. 
the majority I think of people I think don't there's two reasons them. why there's a great interest here in the United States. One, Meghan Markle is an American. So, of course, we're going to be interested in that. And because, Tony, over the last few years, we've had great discussions on race. We've had riots and things of that nature. And so I think people in this country, especially the progressives, are really clinging on to this story because they're saying, look, we have racism in America. There's racism in 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 Europe. And look, Meghan Markle in, in Great Britain. And Meghan Markle, she's a royal. And look, they're even discriminating and being racist against her. So I think that's why a lot of the liberals and progressives in this country are clinging on to this story because it uh, enforces their narrative. You know, one of the very interesting sort of uh, responses to this story has been from over there in the UK and even in France. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, even weighed in on this, saying and there's people over there saying, that this story is bringing America's woke culture to those countries and they don't want it. <laughs> Good People for them. in the UK are like, this is America's woke culture trying to creep in to our society and we don't want it. Keep yeah. it over there. Uh, and like I said, Emmanuel Macron, uh, the French president, even made statements along I, those lines. We got to take. I, go ahead. Go ahead. Real quick, I'm not Chris. trying to be flippant or anything, but you look at the royal family. They've been intermarrying within each other, marrying their cousins for hundreds of years. <laughs> Should we really shock that right. they're a little concerned that there may be a little brown? <laughs> got to take a quick break. We'll talk to Tim Jones when we get back to the Weekend Report on 97.1 FM. Talk. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. FM Talk, Tony Colombo here in studio with uh, producer Carl Middleman. The producer, hi, the producer flip flop <laughs> has begun. Frank was here, and now Carl is here. Chris, you're still here, right? I think. All right, good. I'm on my way to the hockey game, so I thought I'd come by and say hi. Oh, well, we certainly appreciate that. Uh, like I said, we got a big show on tap for you today. We are going to 
replay a conversation that Chris and I had with Senator Jim Talent on the Dave Glover show earlier this week. Uh, I hosted, I filled in for Dave when he took a day off, and Chris was nice enough to co-host with me for an hour. And we had an opportunity to have a good long conversation with Senator Jim Talent during that show. So we're going to bring you that conversation here in just a few minutes. We're also going to talk to the Attorney General of the State of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, in a few minutes. And right now, we're going to talk to the former Speaker of the House of the State of Missouri, the host of the Tim Jones Show every Sunday night right here on 97.1 FM Talk. And also the morning man, the latest, newest, latest and greatest morning man in Springfield. Tim Jones is all over the place, and we're lucky enough to have him with us right now. Mr. Speaker, always great to talk with you, my friend. Tony, thanks for having me on. Always great to be with you guys. You bet. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, Chris and I were talking in that uh, first segment about when I, when we when I asked to get Eric Schmidt on this week's show, the reason I wanted to talk to the Attorney General because he and the state of Missouri are leading a lawsuit that was filed earlier this week against the Biden administration. Uh, Missouri and 11 other states claim that a climate-based executive order has the potential to have a serious economic impact on the country through expansion of federal regulatory power. The suit says new regulations will stifle manufacturing and harm agriculture in Missouri and other states across the country. So that's a big story, and that's the reason that I wanted to have him on. And then there's been developments this week that will make it an even more com- uh, interesting conversation with Eric Schmidt. But before we get into those, um, I want to get your reaction to this lawsuit. And, you know, lo- whether it's good or bad, this is not the first time that the Missouri AG has been at the front of the line uh, going after Democrats in Washington, D.C., and using his power as attorney general of uh, of the state of Missouri to sort of uh, lead the charge. And very often, as he does in this one, he's a lot of a lot of other states go along with him. What do you think of this uh, lawsuit that the AG is leading? Well, Tony, I would I first of all, I absolutely support it. If I were attorney general of the state and, you know, I. I, uh, in my career, I've been a prosecuting attorney. I have been in private practice. I have been Speaker of the House. So I have been on every side of uh, lawmaking, law prosecuting, uh, law uh, deciphering that you can be, right? And I've seen all sides from all different vantage points. Uh, and I, I understand also, Tony, the role of, uh, of federalism in our nation. And federalism means that you continue to remember what the country was founded upon. It wasn't We didn't create the country by creating a gigantic federal national bureaucracy first and then create the states. The states, Tony, were created first, and the states gave rise Mm -hmm. to and gave power to the federal government. Everybody doesn't – everybody's either forgotten that, doesn't want to remember it, uh, chooses to ignore it, so on and so forth. And anytime you bring up the idea of states' rights or state sovereignty – well, of course, you're designated immediately a racist because that's what we do these days in cancel culture uh, because they say, well, that's just all about the Civil War, and that's what you mean by state rights. No, 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 I don't. I go back to the Revolutionary War, right, when we were battling against a tyran- another tyrannical federal power, that of the crown, uh, that of the monarchy of the, uh, the greatest – one of the most powerful nations on earth that time, and King George uh, in the United Kingdom. 
So, you know, the states were created first. The, the, the colonies came first, then the federal government. So the attorney general, as the chief law enforcement officer of the state, right? Eric Schmidt, uh, he is the chief law enforcement officer of the state, right? So he defends our state's rights against all other uh, against all other encroachments, right, whether they be uh, federal or otherwise. And we saw this. We saw attorney generals really step to the fore back during the last uh, monarchical presidency, and that was of Barack Obama. Uh, Barack Obama, through Obamacare and through his pen and his phone, intruded upon the rights of the states like no other president uh, ever had before in our nation's history. And I guess Joe Biden uh, learned quite a few improper and inappropriate lessons from President Obama back at that time. So, you know, look, Tony, I, for, you know, it, 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 as far as being the party of data and science, apparently Democrats, especially the uber left wing that has taken over the Democratic Party, they've left uh, that concept uh, way behind uh, sometime pre-March 2020 as they have they refuse to acknowledge any kind of data or science as to us coming out of this global pandemic, but also back to climate change, right? You know, there, there, I read a very excellent essay recently on, on a, a rational discussion of climate change. And what this discussion was, was basically, yes, I mean, does the, does the climate change on our planet? Absolutely. It's been changing for four plus billion years. There's been all sorts of climate changes. Uh, are, are, do certain things that mankind do potentially contribute that? Potentially. But let's look at the effects, right? And the best way, the best... Um, the best uh, uh, allegorical reference that this author painted, this picture that he painted via text was, you know, the, the, the concept is, uh, so let's say that right now, you know, all of the greenhouse gases that are created in the United States of America lend themselves to 200 parts per million, uh, or I'm sorry, 400 parts per million in the atmosphere. And if we stopped doing everything, if we got rid of all of our SUVs, all our factories, it would go down to 200 parts per million. Oh, isn't that great? We've reduced it by 50 percent. But what that really means, what that really actually means is that, that they never really explain is you have to imagine uh, a football stadium that has a million seats in it. Right. And you're going from four seats down to two. That may be a 50 percent reduction, but it's not it's not a 50 percent reduction in the greenhouse gases. So we're not the culprit. And John Kerry even admitted that in his in his coming out party that he had when he was uh, determined to be the czar of climate change a couple months ago, uh, when he said that, yeah, we're going to do our part, but really we can't do this alone because we're only 10% of the world's problems. So we're going to unilaterally disarm. We're going we're gonna to hurt the working poor. We're going to end the entire uh, energy industry. We've already put 40,000-plus people out of work related to the Keystone XL pipeline. So we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to do economic damage to ourselves like we've done throughout the pandemic. Now we're going to do it in the energy industry. We're going to become less energy independent and more energy dependent on, uh, on, on the Saudis and other people uh, in the Mideast that do not have our national interests at heart. So we're going to do all that for a minute reduction in potentially, potentially in greenhouse gases. It's ridiculous. I'm glad Eric Schmidt has stepped up to to challenge that junk science and uh, and to call out the federal government. And I think we're going to have to do it in a lot of other areas as well. God, Chris, Mr. Speaker, uh, President Joe Biden had his first legislative victory on Thursday when he signed into law the one point nine trillion covid relief bill a bill that had no Republican support, a bill that simple amendments like, you know, making sure that illegal aliens don't get checks, 
was defeated. People say that this has been a big boondoggle to blue states. For example, um, New York State is going to receive $13 billion directly. Their budget deficit for this year is $15 billion. So we're going to wipe out their budget deficit this year. It's also been reported that because of the, co the previous uh, stimulus bills, that Missouri is sitting on $2 billion surplus. And with this latest uh, COVID-19 bill, we're going to get an extra four or $500 What is the state of Missouri going to do with all this money, Tim? Yeah, well, Chris, first of all, as you uh, properly pointed out, it was, a, it was a big victory in search of a battle that never needed to be fought, <laughs> right? Chris, yeah. it's, a, it's a hollow victory. It, it, it rings of nothingness. Uh, it, it's a clarion call uh, for, for, for more debt and, and showing failure. Uh, you know, they, they had to rush this. Why do you think they rushed this through? They rushed it through because we've had a precipitous drop-off in COVID cases. I mean, you look at a, a lot of the liberal left-leaning websites, uh, the, the CNN deathometer. Have you noticed they've taken all that stuff down? Because the bell curve looks like somebody fell off a cliff. And it would be in a positive way, right? We're down like 80% plus in cases. They, uh, you, you mentioned Springfield earlier. Springfield hospitals have closed all their COVID-19 wards. You know why? Because they're empty, right? And that's going to eventually get into these more urban areas as well in St. Louis. Uh, the numbers are really dropping off. So they had to rush this through before they completely looked like utter fools, not that they didn't already. So, yeah, Chris, look, look what the federal government has done, to your point. They have pumped all this money largely into failed blue states. We still have a trillion dollars sitting on yes. the sidelines from the previous COVID quote <laughs> rescue bills. That's How incredible. are we going to? You, and, you can and some of this even, money's not even going to be spent for like two or three right, more years. For years. This is the Pelosi payoff plan. This is to reward big blue states that have failed to keep their pensions above water. So we're going to bail out union pension plans. We're going to bail out uh, states like Illinois, failed states like New York and California, people who can't balance their budgets like us in the Midwest. And they did throw some – yeah, Chris, isn't it funny that when you throw crumbs in federal government speak these days, it's only a couple hundred billion here and there, you right? You know what? So, I, was, I was actually going to bring this up later in the show with, with Chris, but since we're talking about this now, I want to get both your thoughts on it. And also to highlight the point that you guys are making about this COVID relief bill and all this other pork, all this other junk that is in there, uh, the COVID relief package gives money to black farmers, but not white farmers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Have mm -hmm. you seen this? Have you seen this part yeah. of the bill? The package yeah, includes so an estimated $4 billion set aside to pay up to 120% of black, Hispanic, Asian or Native American farmers outstanding debt as of January 1st. Uh, yeah, you're, you're not supposed to pursue legislative priorities, whether they're of the right or the left, through the budget process, right? The budget process is supposed to be blind, right? Isn't that what the left right. always wants us to be, is to be colorblind, to be racially blind, right? We're supposed to be fair. We're supposed to be, in their words, equitable, right? There's nothing equitable, Tony, about what you just said. They are legislating a radical socialist, tending towards Marxist communist agenda through the budget, pro using reconciliation to get that done because they haven't yet decided to take on and destroy the filibuster. Yeah. So they did it through reconciliation. But like you just said, they pursued their far left wing radical agenda by making these budget determinations and calculations, which are also unfair. And back to Chris's earlier point, they pump all this money, Chris, into the state so they can inflate our budget 
force us to put all these things into line item programs. And then guess what happens next year when there's less money? Everybody yells and screams that you're, you're taking their new little entitlement program away. So what's your choices? You either make more stuff and have more sales tax and sell more things, or you raise taxes on hardworking Missourians. This is the crack cocaine that they are pushing out of D.C. these days, and it's disgraceful. Mr. Speaker, I've got another theory on why I think the Democrats are such in a hurry to pump this money out into the economy. You know, I I believe them when they say they believe that uh, people are hurting. We need to get money into Americans' pockets. But what I think a big part of this is, look, we've had pent up demand in our economy for the past year because of Mm. COVID-19. This economy is ready to rumble. I've heard reports from economists saying that they're expecting the, the, the GDP to grow 6% in the fourth quarter. That's what they're expecting. So I think they want to get out in front of this, say they passed a massive stimulus bill in March, and when the economy is growing at 6% at the end of the year, hey, we did it. It's a stimulus package. Wait, what right. do you think? They can, yeah, they can, they can absolutely use this as, as the excuse or the reason when it was going to do it anyway, right, Chris? You're exactly yeah. right. I, I talk to a lot of business people every single day, in, uh, in the various different uh, careers that I pursue, whether in media or political <laughs> consultation. And you're right. So many people have so much cash sitting on the sidelines uh, for, for a variety of reasons, and they want to spend it, and they want to get back to work, and people want to get back to work. So, so, for, so for two reasons, I believe, they passed this. Number one, they want people to continue to, to live off the government dole, right? They, they don't want people necessarily to go back to work. They want people, they want people to, to realize that you can be dependent on the, on the federal government and just sit around and be fat, stupid, and happy, right? And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that people don't need some help out there. They absolutely do. But there's a lot of people – there's 6 million job openings right now in the United States of America, 6 million job openings. We are down 9 million jobs uh, still from the pandemic. But if we filled those 6 million jobs, which are available, and I think they're growing every single day – we would completely erase the economic unemployment damage due to COVID, but the left doesn't want that. They want more people dependent on the federal government. And yes, Chris, and then so they're trying to cover all their bases, right? Because exactly what you just said, they know the economy is just ready to blow. And so they're trying to slow that down for a minute to get all this relief out there. And then when the economy picks up later in the year, they can say, Oh, see, Joe Biden yeah. not only found the vaccine hey. <laughs> and invented the way to get it out, he saved the economy as well. Oh, my God. Thank God we got Donald Trump out Tim, of the White House. When Donald Trump's responsible, actually, for everything that's happening in a positive way right now in this country. Tim, we're yep. out of time. Only got about 60 seconds left. But yes, I sir. do want to ask you, we're going to, like I said, we're going to be talking to uh, Attorney General Eric Schmidt in a little bit. And the Missouri Independent put out an article recently with their top 10 possibilities of uh, people that could in the Republican Party that could uh, run and be the nominee for Roy Blunt's Senate seat. And the attorney general is number two on that list. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Real quick, who is on your short list of people that you think would be uh, not only run, but could win that seat? Tim Jones. (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, I have been asked. I I would be lying. I will not be a lying career politician. I'll say that I've thought about it. But maybe not right now, you All know. Right. So, uh, Eric, Eric Schmidt's great call, Congresswoman Ann Wagner, Congressman yep. Billy Long. Uh, you've got well, Secretary Ashcroft decided not to do it. He yeah, would have been a he good was, call. He was number one on the list. He was the only you one got above. Biz, you got businessman John Bruner out there, former Governor Eric Greitens, and uh, 
Congressman Jason Smith, and perhaps players to be named later. Chris yeah. and I uh, uh, agree on on some things, disagree disagree on maybe even more things, but we both agree that Eric Greitens would not be the right call for the Republican Party. Uh, too much baggage, a lot of divisiveness. Uh, do you think that uh, the former governor is a strong candidate? Oh, man. No more drama, Mama, please. Yeah, you know, right? I'm, I'm with you. Say. Yeah, I'm with you. Speaker Tim Jones, thanks for your time, my friend. We'll be listening uh, tomorrow night. Tim Jones Show every Sunday night right here on 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks, bud. Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks. You bet. All right. Let's take another quick break. We'll be back with more Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. Thanks again to former Missouri Speaker of the House, Tim Jones, for joining us in that last segment. we got one more segment left in this hour of the Weekend Report, and then we have a packed second hour for you. We're going to talk to Harley Magnin from Window Nation. We're also going to replay Chris and I's conversation with Senator Jim Talent from earlier this week, and we are going to start the hour in the very next segment with the Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. So keep it here. Got a great second hour of the Weekend Report coming up. Uh, Chris, while I have a few minutes left in this hour, wanted to uh, go back and touch base on one of the topics that we were just talking about with uh, Speaker Jones. But I want to get your thoughts on this. And we were talking about the COVID relief package and all of the other things that are stuffed in there, uh, including this uh, uh, $4 billion set aside to pay minority farmers um but not but not all farmers so the package includes an estimated 4 billion dollars to pay up to 120% of black hispanic asian or native american farmers outstanding debt as of january 1st it also uh, designates a billion dollars for equity commissions agricultural training Improved land access and other assistance to advance racial justice in farming. What does that have to do with COVID? And what does it have to do with equality? What is going on? And as an African-American conservative, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it has absolutely nothing to do with COVID-19. And Tony, you know, I'm against discrimination in any form against anybody. But I think this story has to put be put into a little context. Um, there has been historically discrimination uh, against um, African-American farmers um, from the government. They've been trying through the agricultural department for years to try to rectify that situation. So I can see this as a solution to that. It's just the way that it's presented and the way that it sounds. It sounds like you're choosing one particular group over another, which is what it is in a sense. <laughs> but this is trying to rectify some historic uh, discrimination against African-American uh, and farmers. Uh, is this I the proper don't way know to do if that? This is the best PR way to do it. Is it the proper way to do it? Even it, like obviously, it's obviously it's ridiculous to put it in something that's called a COVID relief bill. Yeah, but is this the is this the proper way to 
go about trying to level the playing field and create well, the equality? Because it say, well, the black farmers claim that for years they couldn't get agricultural department loans, I, and they were discriminated against while white farmers and I don't, did receive And I don't loans. doubt that one bit. I don't doubt that that yeah. happened in the past one bit. But does and, that mean we flip it? To, for a while until it gets even or you know what I mean like is this the way to fix that problem I don't know I think you could say that same context when it comes to affirmative action after mm -hmm. the 1960s sure. uh, giving people black people maybe an extra hand up when they were uh, discriminated against in the past temporarily maybe that's a good thing that was a good thing then I you know, my support from affirmative action has waned over the years. I thought it was necessary after the civil rights bills, but I think, you know, it's becoming less and less necessary. Maybe it's that same situation dealing with these farmers. Maybe they're trying to get them some quote unquote equity. I know that's a new term that Democrats use. Um, and then maybe this will be phased out. We talk about uh, we've talked a lot about the Missouri Attorney General, who we're going to talk to in a few minutes. Uh, the Attorney General of the United States, the new Attorney General, was uh, confirmed this week. Merrick Garland, of course. I always get it messed up. I always say Merrick Garland, Garland Merrick. I never can figure <laughs> out which one is it. Merrick is first. Garland is okay. second. Merrick's first. And, uh, okay. of course, people will remember Merrick Garland as being Obama's pick for the Supreme Court that Mitch McConnell and Republicans refused to give a confirmation hearing to. And so uh, he wins in the end, it looks like. And instead of being on uh, the Supreme Court, he he'll be win? Attorney General of the United States. He doesn't win. He, that would have been a lifetime appointment. Well, I I think uh, I think Merrick Garland's going to be – I think his future <laughs> – be fine. I think his future is, is taken care of if, if once you become Attorney General of the United States. So I, I think he's fine either MG way. is the AG. I guess maybe there's a 1A and a 1B. Uh, you know, I'll give you that much at least. <laughs> What do you think of uh, what do you think of AG Garland, Chris? Well, I, in a sense, I I think he deserves it. I mean, he's well qualified. Nobody has said anything about his qualifications. You know, as I said while you were talking, he did get played in 2016. You know, with the Supreme Court nomination, but hey, all's fair in politics and war, and uh, <laughs> that's what happened to you. What disturbs me a little bit about him being attorney general is his main focus. One of his main focus, he said, is is trying to stamp out white supremacy and uh, and racism. And I think that's overall just part of the Democrat strategy of trying to say that this country is racist. That's why we still have fencing around the Capitol, because Donald Trump supporters are racist and we can't trust them coming to D.C. because we think they may uh, overtake the Capitol. So his focus on white supremacy and militia groups kind of disturbs me because, Tony, I think that you could you could uh, line up all the white supremacists in this country and they could fit in your bathroom. I don't think it's this big mm. overarching problem that they're trying to paint it as. Uh, we've speculated about Eric Schmidt uh, running for and uh, Eric Schmidt and others running for United States Senate here in Missouri on a national level. Uh, Mike Pompeo has sort of hinted in in several interviews at a presidential run, of course, former secretary of state and uh, head of the CIA uh, as a Republican. You, you feel good about Mike Pompeo being on the uh, 
leading the presidential uh, ticket for the Republicans? Look, along with running for office and being a politician and knowing all the issues, you got to have charisma. And Mike Pompeo just doesn't have much charisma to me. He's very qualified. I mean, the guy is a West Point graduate, graduated first in his class. Um, I think he went to Harvard, uh, got a law degree. So he's very qualified. I just don't know if he has the charisma to be a politician. I, Even I, though he did get elected, he was a politician, but I just don't know if, if he sells outside of congressional district. Um, can he be a national figure? I, yeah. I don't know as elected official. Yeah, I agree. I definitely don't look at him. He's not very him. charismatic. I don't look at him as a very strong candidate, but um, apparently other people do. I, I, I am surprised at the attention he has gotten for, um, you know, sort of playing this little cat and mouse and hinting at, uh, I, at possibly being... I think the reason he gets a lot of attention is because he was Trump's uh, uh, Secretary, of State. Secretary of State. And in case Trump decides not to run, then maybe they can get a, a second Trump term from him. I think that's maybe part of the excitement about him. Before we wrap up this hour, Chris, um, oh, we only have one minute left. I'm sorry. I was reading that wrong, Carl. One minute. <laughs> well, I'll save this question. I'll save my question for Chris oh, for our number two. You're not supposed to tease the co-host. Yeah, that's yeah. how it works. Oh, that's absolutely. how it works. Oh, Makes Chris tease humble. the audience, not the co-host. Yes, I will save my I will save my question, and we will get to it. No, we have give an him the question, then hour. he has time to think about it. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to let him off the hook. Uh, let's go ahead and take this break, and when we get back, as I mentioned, we are going to talk to the Attorney General of the State of Missouri, Eric Schmidt joins us on the Weekend Report next. Don't go anywhere. It's 97.1 FM Talk. Time for your favorite show. The Weekend Report is on the radio. Thank you, Perry Woods. In fact, it is our number two of the Weekend Report on your radio. Thank you so much for tuning in and joining us again this afternoon. If you missed anything from that first hour, make sure you check out our podcast, the Weekend Report podcast. Uh, you can get it anywhere that you get podcasts, but I would recommend the Radio.com app because the Radio.com app is free. You can stream the station 24-7 on the Radio.com app. You can rewind live radio on the Radio.com app, and you can get the podcast of this and every other show on the station all on the Radio.com app. Tony Colombo here with producer Frank Ladd and my partner Chris Harps. <laughs> And as I mentioned at the end of that first hour, joining us now on the line is the Attorney General of the State of Missouri. Eric Schmidt is with us. Mr. Attorney General, thank you so much for your time today, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing good. That's doing fantastic. good. Uh, so there's plenty, lots to talk to you about, uh, sir. 
I want to start with the initial reason that I had uh, requested that we that we talk to you on today's show, and that is the story about uh, us here and through you in the state of Missouri uh, leading a lawsuit that was filed this week against the Biden administration. Uh, I think eleven other states have joined you uh, at least at the time that I read the story. Maybe it's more now. Uh, and uh, you guys in this claim that uh, a climate-based uh, executive order has the potential to have serious economic impact on the country through the expansion of federal regulatory power. The suit says that regulations will stifle manufacturing and harm agriculture in Missouri and across the country. Uh, I couldn't agree more about uh, federal powers and their overreach, especially when it comes to regulations. Uh, could you explain the, the, the lawsuit a little bit more and the inspiration behind it? Sure. I think one of the things that's important for the listeners to understand is that Missouri is leading the charge. Um, you know, Texas is out there, too. But Missouri, really across the country, uh, we're leading the charge in holding this administration accountable because what we're seeing is a massive expansion of federal regulatory authority that's going to harm uh, um, Missourians. It's going to crush jobs. It's going to, you know, entire industries are going to be affected. So to take a step back and put it in context, on January 20th, the day the president was sworn in, he issued an executive order that called for the formation of a working group, a working group to figure out what is the social cost of greenhouse gases? Uh, not very well defined. These are unelected people, not accountable to anybody. Well, recently they came up with a number, and it's, it's a staggering number in the billions and trillions of dollars right over time that they seek to wreak from the economy, meaning these agencies now across the board in D.C. have a blank check to recoup those dollars from agriculture, energy production. Uh, which will affect uh, every to the you know extent you're buying a microwave, a dishwasher, a car, all of those kinds of regulations that are going to come in place to raise the cost of of consumer goods, to raise the cost of how much it costs to heat your home, food prices, all of it's on the table, and it's just for, beyond just being bad policy, it's unconstitutional. There's zero legislative authority. Congress has not passed a law to give the president or any of these agencies the ability to do this. And we're calling them out on it. We're saying, look, you don't get to do this because you're trying to appease the left here. There's some wish list, you know, that you ran on that you want to execute now. You actually have to pass a law to do this or you have to have some authority to be able to do this. They don't have it, which is why we filed a lawsuit. Go ahead, Chris. Mr. Attorney General, the I think the attorney general of Florida is initiating uh, some uh, a lawsuit against the big tech companies, uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook, all of them saying that they have too much control. Uh, are you looking to do something like that here in Missouri? Yeah, we're already in um, multiple cases. We joined a big antitrust lawsuit um, against Google with the Department of Justice when Attorney General Barr uh, was there, along with uh, several other states. We currently have an investigation, a lawsuit with um, with Facebook, I mean, big tech. Mm. So yes, Missouri's fully. We are on the we're on the battlefield <laughs> here because I think what you see is this consolidation of of power among big tech companies yields way too much influence. It's outsized. If you think about what the internet was envisioned to be, which was, you know, I I'm 45, right? So I was in college and in the 90s, and when the internet kind of broke loose in the 90s, it was supposed to kind of democratize information, right? You could access all this information that you had to look up in a microfiche before or, or an Encyclopedia Britannica, whatever. <laughs> all that now was, was open, open forum, right? 
Well, that's changed. Uh, you see, uh, you see a lot of um, activity where people are being, you know, censored. You see uh, uh, antitrust, anti-competitive concerns. You see data issues. So this is a big issue of our time, and we're absolutely in the fight on that as well. Chris, you remember when you had to look up stuff on microfiche to get mm-hmm. your to get your project to pr- get your project done? I told uh, actually, I do, Tony. Stop embarrassing me. I do, too. I do, too. I told my 12-year-old that, and she looked at me like I was talking about some kind of, like, sea, sea creature. You know, I micro Uh Mr. Attorney General, we had uh, Tim Jones, uh, you know, one of our uh, co-workers here at the radio station, former Speaker of the House of the State, and we touched on some of these issues with him in the last hour and kind of had an old-fashioned civics discussion um forget about the particulars of this lawsuit and other issues happening around the country uh how important is it just to simply stand up in the state of missouri and other states across the country for states rights and to stop this uh regulatory power uh grab and you know more control of the country coming out of washington dc i think that what you're doing with this lawsuit and in in other actions that you you've taken uh while in office is a perfect example of i think what the founding fathers meant this country to be and to give this give the states you know ultimate power over their citizens it's not the job of the uh, of the federal government. So, just in general, would you agree with that statement? And does that have something to do with the uh, the influence that you have uh, to to fight these fights? Absolutely. Why? Which is why I feel so grateful to you know be in this position to be able to do that. Because, as you mentioned, you know, taking a step back here historically, it's very unique. Um, our country is, and when people talk about American exceptionalism, it means we are except we are the exception, right? We put the power in the in the people's hands. In the states created the federal government. There's a contract, essentially. The Constitution was, okay, we need to figure out what is the role, what is the scope, what are the limited powers that, the Constitu- that we're going to grant the federal government by way of the Constitution. The Federalist Papers were written to try to convince people of this new model of governance, right? And it was very limited sets of powers. And so you have, essentially, vertical and horizontal Um, checks and balances, separation of powers, right? You've got the branches all checking one another. Agencies, individuals are never supposed to get too powerful. We rebelled from a king. We didn't want that anymore. And we also have that kind of federalism where states have the right to push back as well. And what is the purpose of all that? The purpose of all that diffusion of power is to protect individual liberty. That's what it's all about, right? And so we have a very important role right now in this time and place in pushing back and saying, look, just because you think it's a good idea, Joe Biden, you don't get to bind all 50 states, 300 plus million Americans to this idea. Um, it's, you know, we get to because it's going to have a tremendous impact on our state and you have no authority to do it. One of the biggest threats to our republic, I think, that the founders would have never imagined is uh, the administrative state that we see now. This if they're not accountable to anybody, you know, the, the farmer in, um, you know, Macon, Missouri, didn't vote for the deputy undersecretary of the EPA. And if they issue, you know, and if they issue yes. a regulation, it has a profound impact on their way of life. That's such and a great so, point. So that's that's what we're getting at, I think, with the, with these lawsuits. Absolutely. We are talking to Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. Go ahead, Chris. All right, all right, all right. I'll do it. You're going to do it? Be- okay. We're getting, I'll we're, stop we're there. around the bush. <laughs> we're there. We'll we're there. We're at that we'll point. talk about the 800-pound gorilla that's All in the room here. All righty, let's go. <laughs> uh, 
Attorney General Schmidt, uh, of course, we all know the news that uh, Senator Blunt has decided not to seek re-election. Um, reports is that you have thrown your hat in the ring. There are a lot of folks that are speculating are going to be running for that seat, and they're all very strong conservatives in their own right. What differentiates you from the other potential contenders? Well, look, I don't want to get ahead of the game here. Um, uh, you know, I think it's an important seat, and I am seriously, seriously considering it. Um, mm -hmm. And I know people say this, uh, but it's true. Uh, it's a big decision, right? And you want to talk to your family and your friends, and there have been a lot of people reaching out um, who have been very supportive. So I'm definitely encouraged by that. Um, I think for me, you know, we need fighters in Washington, D.C. now more than ever. And uh, that's been my record, you know, and we need conservative leaders in Washington, D.C., uh, in the United States Senate. You look at the Senate right now, it's 50-50. You know, Kamala Harris is breaking all these ties, and uh, Missouri is a very important seat. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it all the consideration that it, that it deserves um, and in that process right now. But, uh, um, but it's, it's a very important seat, and the ramifications are huge. Do you, have a, do you have a timetable when you're going to make a decision, sir? I don't. It's a fair question, Chris. Uh, <laughs> but um, but I think you just you want to. After right he announced right? that you were running, he's asking what your time frame. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, to be clear, that hasn't happened. We're trying but, to make uh, some news here on the weekend. Uh, oh, you, you guys are good. You guys are good. But uh, but no, there's no no timeline necessarily. Um, but uh, but anyway, like I said, I am um, in the middle of that process right now where uh, you're talking to people and friends and family and, and supporters. And uh, I've been very encouraged. And so I am very, very seriously considering this. So whether we got that out of the way, whether yeah, whether it, you decide ultimately to run or not, Mr. Attorney General, uh, how important, obviously, as you as you just illustrated, every Senate seat is extremely important. But as I we talked about in the first hour of the show today, it wasn't long ago that there was a Democrat that held one of the two Senate seats in Missouri. So it's not out of the question. It's certainly not out of the question to think that that could happen again. So I would imagine from a national standpoint, from the national party, from, uh, you know, trying to fight for the values and issues that you believe in and the Republican Party believes in in the state of Missouri, that this Senate seat, no matter who it is that represents the Republican Party, is probably going to be uh, like a, a national spotlight and something that is extremely important. There's no uh, it's it's not a foregone conclusion. I don't think that uh, the Republicans will hold that seat, you know, uh, after uh, after Senator Blunt steps down. How important is that seat, no matter which Republican runs for it? It's critical. I mean, you look at the things that the you know, the Senate's engaged in all the really important debates of our time and. uh you know, from judicial selection to national security to these issues in surrounding big tech to the role of government, all of it, right? I mean, the founders really um, set apart the Senate to be a, a deliberative body that is going to sort out a lot of the big, big, big issues of our time. And so it's critical. I mean, Missouri's, you know, we, we got, we're a red state right now, but, uh, but uh, I never take anything for granted. Uh, you have to work incredibly hard to uh, obtain maintain uh, the trust and confidence of voters. And, um, and, and Missourians, uh, they're good common sense people here who can, uh, 
who know who's authentic and genuine and, and, you know, in this for the right reasons and all those sorts of things. And so anyway, that's all, that's obviously all in play, but Missouri is uh, a critical, you have to hold Missouri. I mean, if you're, if you're talking about picking up seats, you got to hold Missouri. And, um, and I think there will be a national spotlight on it. And uh, again, why I think the decision-making process right now is so important. We're almost out of time with Missouri attorney general, Eric Schmidt, before we let you go, Mr. Attorney general, I wanted to ask you since you know, obviously, the 2020 election season was chaotic uh, from a national level. But here in Missouri, it sort of got things back to normalcy because we were operating for the years, a couple of years before that, with a governor that was, uh, you know, not appointed, but elevated to that seat in so many statewide offices that were uh, not won by election, but were kind of the domino effect of what happened to uh, former Governor Eric Greitens. And now after the 2020 elections, you know, it's kind of back to normal. All the statewide seats are held by people that won those elections. What's it been like uh, in this new legislative session since those elections, uh, running this this state with Governor Parson? Uh, just talk a little bit about uh, what you guys have been able to accomplish and, and the track that you have put the state on. Yeah, I think the, the governor's provided great leadership. I think Missouri has an opportunity to set itself apart. You know, I, I always, I, I talk, you know, in AG world, you know, Texas gets a lot of attention sometimes. And I tell people, look at what's going on in Missouri. If you if you want a freedom-loving state, it's got this independent streak that um, people are smart. They, know, they have great common sense. It's a great place. The country comes together here. The rivers come together here. The railroads come together here. The highways come together here. This is the heart of the heartland. And I think Missouri is leading the way. That's been our tradition. I mean, I think about when my family came here six generations ago, Missouri was on the western edge of the entire country. There were railroads that didn't go any further than the state of Missouri. And St. Louis became you know, the fourth largest city. There's a great tradition of innovation and discovery and pioneering spirit of the state. And I think we need to embrace that. And I think this conservative leadership we have right now moving the state forward uh, really kind of, again, sets the tone for where we're headed as more people are leaving places like Illinois, leaving places like New York, leaving places like California. Uh, they're coming to places like Missouri. And uh, we're, it's a great place with great people, and we've got so many opportunities ahead of us. That is the Attorney General of the State of Missouri, Eric Schmidt. Uh, Mr. Attorney General, uh, good luck as you weigh these important decisions in your future. And uh, we hope to have you back on soon to continue to talk about all of these issues that are facing the country and the state. Thanks for your time today, sir. All right. God bless you guys. You bet. Thank you. Thank you. All right. That is going to do it. You need me to keep going here? All right. Frank says to Frank says we got to stretch a little bit, and that's good Frank because uh, it's Frank. Frank's back here. Oh, okay. Um, I wanted to, uh, Chris, let's get back to the, while well, we have just a little bit of time left in this hour, or in this segment, um, the, here's the question that I was going to ask you at the end of last hour, and we ran out of time. Um, Joe Biden has been dodging the press. Well, okay. Has Joe Biden been dodging the press? I don't think <laughs> you had it right the first. Time. I don't think I don't think the story of him not holding a solo press conference on its own, like I don't think that that's a story on its own. But it when you look at the actions of the president, when you see how he basically runs from the cameras, he'll give a you know he'll give a statement or whatever, and then turn and and run away, you know, and not. You know, get out of there as quickly as he can. And his handlers are pulling him away. It looks weird. It looks like he's incapable of answering those questions. And we actually touch on on some of that with Senator Jim Talon in the interview that we're about to play. Um, 
what do you think of that, of, of, of the way that the, the president has been dodging the press? Well, I don't think it's particularly the president dodging the press. I think it's his handlers that are keeping him away from the press. And it's very alarming that we have a president that we're in a pandemic, uh, we're kind of in a crisis, and we're not hearing from the president except through scripted uh, appearances. They are hiding him away from the media, plain and simple. And I think the incident the other day, this week, where he was at the hardware store and was being shouted, yeah. had questions shouted at him, and he looked like a, a deer in the headlights. Um, I and think his, it's and also his people the reason are, why are we yelling. haven't had a State of the Union address yet. Yeah, and his handlers are, are screaming, you know, like, that's enough, folks, you know, and like basically yeah. pulling him away. Um, and as you'll hear in this conversation that we have with Jim Talent, uh, the senator who worked with Joe Biden when when Joe Biden was in, in the Senate as well, uh, talks about the differences between um, what it was like in that Joe Biden that uh, Senator Talent worked with years ago and uh, President Biden today. So uh, we're going to take this break. We're going to a little bit later on. We're going to talk to uh, Harley Magden, the CEO of Window Nation. And when we get back, we're going to replay that discussion that Chris and I had with Jim Talent earlier this week on the Dave Glover Show. So don't go anywhere. We'll play for that for you when we get back to the Weekend Report on 97.1 FM Talk. Welcome back to the Weekend Report, 97.1 FM Talk. As I mentioned that last segment, a little bit earlier this week, I had the opportunity to host the Dave Glover Show, and Chris joined me for part of that show. And on that show, we interviewed Senator Jim Talent, and we are going to replay that interview for you now. So here is Chris and I talking to former United States Senator Jim Talent earlier this week on the Dave Glover Show. Senator, always great to talk with you, sir. How are you? I'm fine. Yes, uh, Chris helped make me what I am, and Chris, you can you can apologize to everybody for that. Uh, oh, I'm glad. Wow, I, you know, I'm you got what, you got Rachel, you got Rachel, Sue, Andrew, Tony, and Chris. I mean, yeah. you get a couple more, it'll be an episode of Friends. There I mean, you know, right? <laughs> hey, when Dave leaves, it's big shoes to fill. It takes a whole bunch of us to to fill those shoes. <laughs> So, um, Senator, you know, there's a lot of national news to talk about, obviously, but I'm mostly uh, very interested in getting your thoughts on what is happening here in the state of Missouri with the United States Senate. Uh, Chris and I were just talking about um, Roy Blunt uh, last week on The Weekend Report. We were talking about the possibility of certain people maybe trying to primary him or that kind of thing. And then... Days after we have that conversation, uh, to the surprise, I think, of many of us, Senator Blunt announces that he is not going to run for re-election in 2022. That's going to make Missouri a very interesting place for the next couple of years. What do you think about uh, that announcement and its effect on the state? Uh, Well, you know, I think I, well, I did a tweet and I said in the tweet that uh, I regret it for Missouri uh, I certainly understand the decision uh, for Roy. I've known him, uh, I, hate, I hesitate to say this, but for 40 years. And um, 
began working with him when I went in the legislature 35 years ago. And he's a great public servant. Uh, he's been so conscientious in every job he's been in. But, you know, there's a time when you feel like it's, you know, it's time to hang it up. And I respect him for this. Um, you know, there are some senators uh, and congressmen who are able to continue doing the job really well as they get into their 70s and beyond. Um, but but others, people I respect enormously, just decide, you know what, I'm, I'm going to leave while I have time to do something else. And um, I suspect that's that's part of this for him. So uh, the, my party has a big bench, uh, a lot of aspiring and up and coming people. And, um, you know, they're considering their options now as they should. You know, these openings don't come that often. And uh, I feel confident we'll get a good candidate. Senator, when you served in the Senate and the House, um, you served on the Armed Services Committee. Um, you mm-hmm. have made, you're known as a defense foreign policy expert. I want to ask you your opinion on what are other world leaders and adversaries thinking of thinking of the United States when they see the president of the United States in a hardware store, um, unable to answer simple questions and looking like he's dazed and confused? Does that put our national security at risk? Do you think? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Um, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I've said that during the campaign. I think I said it to you guys more than once. Um, this is not the Joe Biden that I saw all that time. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I say that again, uh, you know, with some sadness. Uh, now, you know, I do think the point is the time is going to come, uh, you know, for example, when he's going to need to do a press conference and to ask questions, to answer questions, you know, that are asked. Um, so, yeah, it's concerning. And, uh, you know, in the early stages of a presidency, uh, the aggressors often um, tend to test him as we're being tested now in the Middle East. Now, on the other hand, I have to say he has a good national security team. Uh, I, I like Tony Blinken, uh, Lloyd Austin, they're doing a review on China in the Department of Defense, which is and it's being run by people, you know, I like. So it's early days yet. Uh, I guess we got to see. Senator, can you elaborate a little bit more on those differences? You you as you've talked about before, had a chance to work with Joe Biden, Senator Biden when you were in the United States Senate. And obviously the long time that you spent in Washington, D.C., um, what are the, the glaring differences that you see in the Joe Biden that you knew and worked with and the President Biden that we see now? Uh, the inability to call up, you know, words uh, to remember trains of thought. Now, this can happen to anybody, and it can happen to people who are younger, too. Um, you know, when it happens to me, I tell people, you know, I was fully capable of a lapse like this 20 years ago, too. <laughs> but it's happened. it happened pretty consistently in the campaign trail. And we're seeing it now. And um, and the fact that he is not I mean, he always was, you know, willing and almost eager to engage, you know, ready to to go at it with the press. And I just I don't sense that same thing now. Now, you know. Yeah. So um, it's it's as I said, it just doesn't fit. Uh, I'm not saying I ever agreed with Biden and I've had concerns about his judgment on foreign policy issues. I mean. Um, Bob Gates, um, who is not a partisan, I don't know if Bob's even a Republican, but he, you know, in his book, he said, 
you know, Joe Biden has a 100 percent record of being wrong on foreign policy matters. But that's one thing. Um, you know, capacity is another. And uh, it's concerning. Senator, you were also known as a budget hawk when you were in the Senate. Uh, today, a one point nine trillion dollar stimulus was passed or by the Senate or by the Senate or the House, whichever one. It's on its way to the president's desk. I heard a very interesting statistic um, the other day that really startled me when it said the all of the stimulus bills combined add up to five point six trillion dollars. And we spent that money in a year. And uh, that's more money than we've spent in Iraq and in uh, Afghanistan. Talk a little bit about the the impact yeah. this is going to have on our future budget and finances. Yeah, it's a lot more than we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan. And one of my big concerns is that is that we need to sustain the defense budget at increases of about, even as against inflation, 3 to 5% a year, precisely because of these growing threats and mostly because of China and I fear that we're going to see a skinny defense budget and they're going to try and justify it by saying we're in an era of, of fiscal constraint, which is risable after, you know, the spending on the, on, on the pandemic, a lot of which was necessary. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't. It's funny to say I was a budget hawk. I don't know that I was ever known as that. Um, but I, even though I'm not, I'm concerned about burning the credit of the United States in this way for a measure that's supposed to be an emergency measure, but large parts of which aren't even going to be spent uh, in this year. And and it will take years to spend it all. I, you know, I, I don't understand the purpose of it. Well, I, mean, I do understand the purpose of some of it, and there's some good things in it. But, uh, yeah, I, maybe the Senate will, will take a scalpel to it and, and pare it down a little bit, um, a lot. Uh, to limit it to coronavirus-related measures and then take up other things you want to do in the regular order. That's another problem is that, is that you know, I'm not going to defend the appropriations process in particular, but it's better than, than just throwing all this stuff together and passing huge bills every year. It's a sign of institutional dysfunction that really concerns me. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't have voted for this, uh, not at this level, um, and and not with all the different subjects it goes into that aren't related to the pandemic. I don't think that when we see this headline today of, you know, 1.9, almost $2 trillion COVID bill, and, you know, talking about who is and who isn't a, a budget hawk, if there are any budget, true budget hawks left in Washington, D.C., which I don't know if there are, if they if there are real ones, they're probably looked at as, like, the kooky people. Like, sure. what do you care about? Like, I feel like, Senator... We have gone so far off the reservation when it comes to spending and the national debt that it's like it doesn't nobody you may hear politicians mention it and talk about how it's important and that we can't just spend this money. And where is it going to come from and when are we ever going to pay it back? But I don't I don't believe that many of them are very serious about that when they say it, because it just keeps happening over and over again. It seems like the national debt is not even a true concern in Washington anymore. And how dangerous can that be to our future? Yeah, we got it balanced in the 90s. Yeah, uh, now, yeah. the entitlement deficit was not as bad then as it is now. I mean, we had certain advantages they don't have now. It's more that I agree with you. It's more the disregard of it and the importance of it. That's a problem other than just this specific policy choice, although I really don't like it. I mean, it's it's 
as I said, it's burning a lot of the credit. There almost seems to be this assumption that the credit of the United States is unlimited. And it's big, mostly mostly because we're the reserve currency of the world. Uh, But it's not unlimited. And this is all new spending. I mean, it's not like this money's being spent, you know, to close the gaps in some of the other programs or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, I... And, and when I said I wasn't a budget, I just didn't want to claim credit that I don't deserve. I mean, Tom Coburn was a budget hawk. I mean, I knew budget hawks. And, Chris was Chris uh, knows your heart, and he was just talking about the man but, that he knew behind you know, the scenes. I focused mostly on you know, defense, small business, welfare reform, community renewal. Chris did a lot of that with me. But, uh, you know, yes, you have to be responsible. You're spending other people's money, and in this case, you're spending other people's futures. And so, you know, it needs to be a serious thing. And I just am concerned they were lumping a bunch of their policy preferences into this right up front. And I, you know, I would be concerned if if uh, if I was voting for this from a political standpoint, because, I, you know, I just I don't think uh, the people are all that enamored with an agenda that's that's, um, you know, that's centered around borrowing another two trillion dollars. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, it's not a good development. Got a couple um, minutes left here with Senator Jim Talent. Go ahead, Chris. Senator, the next item on the congressional agenda seems to be infrastructure spending. Um, we're hearing that that is something that can be bipartisan. Uh, when you were in the Senate, you had a bipartisan bill with Senator Wyden of Oregon, the Build America bonds, where ordinary American citizens could buy bonds to help build uh, highways and, and sewer and that things of that nature. Are you hearing uh, your idea being brought back uh, up during this uh, infrastructure uh, Well, bill? they're going to need to do something because the problem with these infrastructure bills is where do you get the financing for it? And you're right. I, 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 I remember giving a big speech in the floor of the Senate saying this is the only government in this is the only institution that uh, that issues long term debt. Uh, to cover its short-term expenses, but will not issue long-term debt to cover its long-term capital ex- expenses, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some times when debt is justified, just as it's justified for an individual to borrow money to buy a house because it's a long-term capital expenditure. And this is a problem. See, we need this credit for this kind of thing. Now, you know, to invest, if, if you're borrowing money to invest in infrastructure, it's going to pay it back over years, and you do it reasonably well, yeah, it can be a really good investment. So I'm glad they're trying to do it. I was a big infrastructure guy, including in the state as, as well as in the federal government, and I'd like to see him do it. But, I mean, you know, again, the, the national debt's gone up $5.5 trillion in the last year. So that's going to make it more difficult to do these things. Chris. And we need to do it. I mean, there are locks and dams that are so old that they could collect Social Security if they were people. <laughs> Chris, are you going to ask? Remembers. I mean, I used to present pictures that, you know, you take a picture and you come back three or four months later and the, con- you know, the concrete's falling off it. That's how, that's how bad some of it is. Yeah. You, Chris, are you going to ask him if he's going to run for Senate next year? Or no, am I going to ask you know, him? I've asked no. every time the governor or Senate race has come up, I've asked him that. And I think, uh, I think I know the answer. You know, yeah, before, yeah, I'm not going to do it. I've <laughs> pretty much licked that plate clean. You know, I began doing it when I was 27 years old. Uh, you know, I might if I ever if I ever retire from other things. I I, I never served in the state senate. I I always felt like state senate's a 
very hands-on, small group of people, a lot of influence. That would be that would be interesting. Senator, you did mention a big bench. Do any names come to mind of, of Missouri Republicans? Uh, that do, are there any sort of front runners in your opinion that could uh, you know be the right fit for that spot? Well, when you have uh, and and the party is in good position because it has most of the statewide offices. So, you know, all of them, except the governor, he's not going to do it. Um, you know, our names, I think, that have been floated and that are possibilities, um, all accomplished public servants. And then there's the congressional delegation. You know, I ran statewide from the Congress. Yeah. Uh, and we have a number of people there. I, uh, you know, my congresswoman, Ann Wagner, I think her name's been floated. Uh, Jason Smith from southeast Missouri. I'm not sure the others are all that interested, um, and you know, it's, and that's fine. I mean, service and they, they do a great job in the house. So, I'd like to avoid uh, not necessarily a primary, but a really divisive primary. And you can run them without, you know, without without being ugly. Each other to pieces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you really can. And uh, I, I think these are the kind of people who would do that. Well, no doubt that uh, a lot of eyes from around the country are going to be on the state of Missouri as we close in on that election, whoever is in it uh, in uh, 2022. Uh, Senator Jim Talent, always great to talk with you. Do you have any um, columns or anything that uh, people can, new new columns that people can check out? I'm working on something, but All stay right. tuned. All okay. right. Sounds good. Okay, I like the little tease. I appreciate that. That's good stuff. Senator, uh, always great to talk with you, sir. Have a great day. So that was our conversation with Senator Jim Talent from earlier this week. Let's go ahead and take another quick break, and we'll be back with more Weekend Report next on 97.1 FM Talk. Another Report 97.1 FM Talk. Great stuff there from former United States Senator Jim Talent. If you missed anything from that interview that Chris and I did with Jim Talent or the Attorney General of Missouri, Eric Schmidt, or Tim Jones earlier in the show, don't forget to check out the Weekend Report podcast, which you can get anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, but I recommend the Radio.com app. Joining us now on the line, as I mentioned, uh, one of the great sponsors of this radio station and a company that I have been proud to have been introduced to and have been working with for the last couple of months. Uh, Harley Magden, the CEO and co-founder of Window Nation, joins us on the line now. Harley, how's it going, dude? <laughs> All right. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. Doing great. So uh, as people know, I have been uh, working with you guys at Window Nation for the last six, eight weeks, whatever it has been. And, uh, you know, been impressed since day one 
with your guys' um, dedication to customer service, and you have a lot of accolades that sort of prove that you're the best, whether it be the A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, the thousands and thousands of online positive reviews that you guys have, uh, the incredible customer satisfaction ratings that you guys have. Um, what is it about Window Nation? Uh, is it just is it was that your whole goal going in? Do right by the customer to uh, to provide the the best service possible because it's definitely paying off. You guys are, are doing a great job there at Window Nation. Yeah, it's a great point. I appreciate you bringing that up. I, I think it ultimately comes down to customer service and just servicing it done correctly. And in our industry, you know, you get a bad rap for not you know for for contractors skipping out on work and you know, not doing things right. So our goal is to make sure that we do everything up front to make sure it's done right. So we measure the windows three times before they go in the customer's home. The people that come out to the house are very experienced from our sales consultants that average 100 hours of training to our measure techs that have measured on average over 20,000 windows. So we want to make sure that we do everything right up front so the job gets done right the first time and the customer's satisfied. How often do you guys go into a home and maybe uh, the homeowner thinks that things are are good, their windows are working well, but you realize uh, that um, you know these the, you could be saving a lot of money on your utility bills or doing a lot better, you know, for your house for your home with new windows. How often does it did you go into a place that? Uh, the homeowner thinks that things are good, but actually the windows uh, probably need an upgrade. Well, most of the time what we find is people call us because there's maybe a couple windows in the house um, that there's an issue with. And then, you know, we, we go and present a full solution. And um, a lot of times the customer decides, yeah, it's best to get all the windows replaced. But, you know, we're more than happy to come out and do a couple windows sure. or, or do the whole house. Um, so, yeah, it, really there's a lot of reasons why people might want to replace. And we kind of, you know, talk about some of the things that people don't necessarily think about, which is security, Mm. ultraviolet protection. Obviously, energy bills are very important, but a lot of times people call because, you know, there's a broken window or the window won't open at all, or it's just not a safe situation where when it does open, the windows come slamming down or fall Mm. out, afraid, you know, that the windows might, you know, cause an injury. Are there are there things that people can look for on their windows at home to know that maybe it's time to call Window Nation and and get somebody out to take a look and see what's going on? Are there are there clues that people can look for to know that it's time maybe for a new window? Well, if you could, if you take a match or a lighter and you you put it around the window and see if the the, the flame flickers or oh, moves, yeah. you know you could start to see that there's like air coming through. I mean, if your window you know, it was broken in your car or, or it was left open, you know, you'd get rain inside of it. Well, a lot of people don't realize that their windows, uh, unbeknownst, aren't, can't close or there's significant gaps due to, you know, over time the windows becoming out of square or damage being done to inside the, the, the walls of the windows or the walls where the windows are. So a lot of different things you can look for, but signs of mold, signs of, uh, you know, where paint is starting to, to kind of uh, – um, ripple. Yeah. What uh, What about do Do windows generally have uh, a lifespan? If 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 your windows have been in your house for fifteen years, twenty years, is there Is there a kind of a, a a general lifespan for windows that you know if they've been in your home this long, it's It's probably time to to get an upgrade. 
Wood varies because windows have gone through a lot of different stages. Back in the day, they were wood. Mm. Then they changed to aluminum, then vinyl. So typically, your old aluminum windows, those are all outdated because they cause significant conduction, especially in the wintertime. Your wood windows, you know, those are ones where you start to see rot. They're probably single pane unless they're newer wood windows. And then your vinyl is if they're starting to crack, change colors. So it does vary. Um, the windows they have, you know, that we put out right now, they, they do carry a lifetime warranty um, on the glass, the entire window itself, because the technology is so much better. There's so many more uh, in the vinyl, for example, is, is just all kinds of modifiers and new to protect against cracking and, and discoloring. And then they're reinforced with composite materials. So the windows these days are made a lot longer. I mean, I've seen windows that have been around for 150 years and I've seen windows we go place. That are 10 years old. So. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, I tell you what, there's no better way to know if you've got uh, good solid windows in your home or if it's time for an upgrade than by calling Window Nation and have those experts come out and take a look. Right now, you guys have an incredible Beat the Rush sale, chance to get two free windows with every two you buy, no limit, and pay nothing down, no payments, no money owed at all for two full years uh before we let you go harley if people want to take advantage of that beat the rush sale or get a a window nation expert out to their home to take a look at their windows uh, and just learn more about window nation what's the best way for people to do all that yeah go online to windownation.com or call 866-90-NATION either way we're more than happy to schedule a free estimate quotes are good for for two months and now it's just a great time because typically in april may are the busiest two months of the year people start doing spring cleaning start to open the windows and that's where when we call beat the rush that's the rush that we're talking about good stuff that is harley magden ceo and co-founder of window nation harley great talking with you my friend i hope we can get you back on and, and talk again real soon thanks for your time awesome appreciate it thank you you bet All right, that is going to do it for this edition of The Weekend Report. For producer Frank Ladd and producer Carl Middleman and my partner Chris Arps, I'm Tony Colombo. Thank you so much for listening to another edition of The Weekend Report. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great weekend. Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.